Hope you all had a good Christmas with your families. Do you have your Bible with you this morning? Yes, that is great. Acts chapter 6 is where I would like you to turn. We're going to continue our topical snack today with sort of a a wrap-up, a review, and an application of some of the stuff we've talked about throughout Advent season. I hope that you'll be here next week uh, because we're going to dive back into our study of Revelation next week. It would be a good idea between now and next Sunday for you to read Revelation chapters 1 through 4. Uh, that will remind you of the things that we have studied up to this point, uh, what we have covered over, over the last several months, and it will help you prepare for where we are headed over the next several months. I am personally really looking forward to getting back to our study of Revelation, back into that kind of regular pattern and rhythm of study, preparation, and preaching um, just, just straight from the Bible. Um, these topical snacks are good. Uh, they are helpful for us, uh, especially in seasons like Christmas time. Um, but man, can't wait to get back to regular exposition. So I hope you'll be here next week for that. Uh, like I said, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6 because that is where we will end up today. Um, that's where we're going to land today. We're going to be several different places before we get there, but that's going to be kind of where we will wrap up. Every scripture we'll look at today will be up on the screen, so you'll be able to follow along as we study. And before we get to that, though, I want to give you an update about Lottie Moon giving. I cannot tell you how encouraged I am by your generous and sacrificial giving to Lottie Moon Christmas offering this season. Uh, To date, so far in 2020, this is through last Monday, um, so this last week, you have given $84,323 to Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, It is a a really big deal, um, and there is more to come. Uh, Like, I know that there were some people that dropped off some Lottie Moon offerings this week between between when we stopped counting and when we'll count again uh, tomorrow, and so uh, that's that's every every reason to rejoice. I want to show you the 10-year history of Lottie Moon Christmas offering at First Baptist. This is also pretty interesting. Um, Back in 2011, we gave about a little over $4,000, and if you look back uh, 2010, 2009, on and on before that, it was around three or $4,000 almost every year. And so in the last 10 years, we have increased our annual giving by $80,000, uh, which, is, which is great trajectory. So good to see. And any of my friends would tell you that I was really sweating Lottie Moon uh, going into the last few weeks. I was, I was nervous about it just because I knew the difficult context this year with the virus and with social upheaval and just the distance that exists here within the body, within the fellowship of First Baptist. We have some people in one service. Uh, we have some people always in another service. We have some people uh, online. We have some people who have checked out entirely during these last few months. I also know that we have sent these two families out to the nations, into the dark places. And for the last few years, I've been able to report to them at the end of the year uh, about really encouraging news as far as Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes. Uh, and, And it has served well to prove to them that we really do have their backs. Like when I'm able to call those guys and tell them, hey, First Baptist has given X number of dollars to Lottie Moon. It is really proof, I believe, that we have their backs. And it is really solid, tangible evidence that we are really willing to hold the ropes while they go down into the dark places. Um, Not just saying that uh, and not, not it being just a theory, but being really practical evidence that we, that we have that. And so I was bothered, uh, troubled really in my heart that what, what will it mean if we take, take steps backwards this year in, in Lottie Moon giving? What will I say to the O's and the T's uh, if, if that was the case? But that's not what happened. 
Um, praise the Lord, against all odds, against logic and reason, really, in the midst of troubled times, First Baptist Church doubled down on its giving and gave even more than any year before. And that is incredible. And I cannot tell you what that does for my heart. <clears throat> my heart and the heart of the other pastors uh, here at First Baptist Church, not to mention those workers that we have sent out from here. This year has been really difficult. Um, for leading in ministry, it has been difficult. We have made decisions that are way outside of our wheelhouse. Like we are, we are making decisions that, that are not in our area of expertise, but nonetheless, we're having to make decisions in those areas. And, and, and those decisions have not been popular uh, for anyone, really. If, if we're going to be honest about it, the decisions we have made have not been popular for anyone, even for those of us making those decisions. Uh, they are not what we prefer. Nonetheless, we've, we've tried to be... Um, responsible. We've tried to be faithful. We've tried to do the best we can with what we've got. And we've made those decisions that have not been popular. And, and some of them have been outright opposed and mocked by other people. It's been a difficult year because we've only seen about half of our people throughout this year. Um, the last eight months, it's been difficult to not even see half of our folks. Um, and it would be really easy just to want to throw in the towel uh, for church leaders. In fact, I think that I personally think that what we will see uh, as this all plays out in the next year, is there are a lot of guys in church leadership that will bail out entirely, um, that, that will just throw in the talent and, and do something else. And, and I want to tell you that that's not on our radar, um, and, and partly it's not on our radar because of stuff like this. Like this kind of giving is super encouraging to know that, that the church has not checked out, the church has not quit, the church has not gone away, the church is still active and involved and dedicated to the work. Uh, and it is work, not... <clears throat> Not just generous work. I'm talking about uh, gospel advancing, kingdom advancing work. Because $84,000 goes to take the light to the darkness. To take the gospel where the gospel is not preached currently. And that is what we're about. And so we praise the Lord for that. Last week, Dylan read from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I think we've seen that on display. Like, I think that really rings true around here right now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about an offering that he was collecting as he traveled around, as he was on his missionary journeys, he was visiting churches that were primarily Gentile background. They were new believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who came from a Gentile background. And as he visited those people's people, he was collecting offerings from them to take back to Jerusalem to help offset some of the needs of the Jewish background Christians who were in Jerusalem. So he was asking these Gentile background folks to give generously so that Jewish background folks who are their brothers and sisters in Christ now uh, could have their needs met. And this is what he says. Look at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I want us to just, just recognize how closely this rings uh, to what we have experienced here over the last several months. He says, now brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That is just mind-boggling right there. That whole sentence is mind-boggling, right? A great ordeal of affliction, in the midst of that, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. So we've got joy and poverty working together. And what does that result in? It overflows in the wealth of their liberality. Verse 3 says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. That's what we have seen. 
That's, this is unexpected around here that people would give, not only according to their ability, but beyond their ability. Remember last week we looked at that quote from John Piper that says there, there are kind of three options when it comes to world missions. You can be a, 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 a joyful, sacrificial goer, a joyful, sacrificial sender, or you can be disobedient. And we have seen some joyful and sacrificial sending through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Read on with me. He says, They gave of their own accord, verse 4, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. In other words, they were longing to give to this offering. They were ready to give to this offering to offset those needs. And this, not as we had expected. That's the part that gets me. Not as we had expected, but they gave themselves to the Lord first and to us by the will of God. I will will tell you that $84,000 is not what we expected this year. Uh, it is not at all what we expected. And, and so what do we do with this? I guess that's, that's where I want to head with all of this talk is what do we do with this? How, how should our hearts respond to this news of Lottie Moon giving in 2020? Well, first thing I think we should do is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because this is ultimately his work, right? Uh, this, this is not something you have done. This is not something we have done. This is something the Lord has done. And so we will praise his name because it is his work and also because everything that you gave belong to him, right? You only gave it because he gave it to you. You only had it because he gave it to you. And so the first thing that we need to do when we think about this is we need need to praise the Lord. And the second thing that we need to do is to encourage the church. So we praise the Lord and we encourage the church. And I hope you will hear me on behalf of Pastor Dylan and Pastor Joe say, at a girl, First Baptist Church, way to go. Like this is big, this is big time stuff. And we, uh, we are so excited and so proud and want to say at a girl and keep it up. In fact, along these same lines, let me also say a quick word about general budget giving in 2020. 2020, hard year, unprecedented times, so to speak, at least for us in our generation. And this unexpected generous giving is not just limited to Lottie Moon Christmas offering. In fact, as end of the year reports start coming together, it's clear that giving remains strong here at First Baptist Church. And that actually may be an understatement by the time the year is ended. Uh, In a very difficult year, giving remains strong. Giving was steady. Spending was down, of course, because of the pandemic and the inability to do some of the things we usually do. So at the end of the year, at the end of 2020, of all years, at the end of 2020, First Baptist Church is going to be in a solid and strong financial position. And, And again, what do we do with that? We praise the Lord for that. We say, thank you, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness to us. And we also say, at a girl, First Baptist Church. We also say, way to go, keep it up. Uh, we, we joked about this in the office this morning that, that I'm a little bit hesitant to say those kind of things um, for fear that you would say, oh, everything's good, I'll just stop now. <laughs> like, I was thinking about giving to Lottie Moon until Chris said, wow, we've given so much to Lottie Moon, now I'm just going to wait till next year. Uh, or, oh, I was going to give a big end-of-the-year gift to the church, now I'm not going to. Like, I hope that's not what this produces in your heart. But I hope it does stir you to rejoicing uh, in the goodness of God, praising his name. And, and uh, I just, I hope, maybe if nothing else, I hope you will hear how encouraged we are uh, as, as your leaders that, that this is the way it's gone this year of all years. All right, so enough about money. I don't talk about money very often, so you've got to give me a little bit of, of grace there, right? Like, I'm not harping on money every week, so um, this, is, this is, we're done with it now. Let's talk prophets, priests, and kings. 
First thing I want to do today is remind you of the Old Testament roles. This is not new. Most of what we're talking about uh, here for the next 20 minutes or so is not going to be new. It's going to be review of the last few weeks. Let's talk about those roles in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see three primary leaders of God's people. We see prophets, priests, and kings. The prophets bring the word of God to the people of God. They deliver the word of God to the people of God. And really, if you think about it deeply, they don't just deliver the word of God to the people of God. They deliver the word of God to anybody who has an ear to hear the word of God, even if they are outsiders. And really, if you think about it even beyond that, they don't just deliver it to those who are glad to hear it. They aren't just delivering the word of God to people who, are, who have ears to hear. They are delivering the word of God to everyone even to those who will reject it, even to those who will oppose it, even to those who honestly will kill them because of their delivering of the word of God. So that's what the prophets do. Uh, We've said over the last few weeks that they have a, a revealing ministry. They reveal God to the people. That's what the prophets do. Then we have the priest. The priest connects the people of God with the presence of God. He connects the people of God with the presence of God. He serves as a mediator as one who has one hand on the people and one hand on God and brings them together. And in order for that to happen, in order for holy God and sinful man to be brought together, there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a sacrifice that takes place. And so that's part of what the the priest spends all of his time doing is offering those sacrifices and serving as the the one who um, makes the sacrifice that is necessary for this access and this connection to God. He has a reconciling ministry. That's what we said over and over again during Advent. And then finally, we talk about the king. The king brings the rule of God over the people of God. He has a reigning ministry. He brings order and structure to the process, and he rules and reigns. That's what the king does. And remember, as we talked about each of these roles of leadership for God's people in the Old Testament... I told you that at the height of their work, in the golden days of prophets, in the golden days of priests, in the golden days of kings, there was always this forward look, there was always this longing for and expecting of something better to come. Maybe more specifically, someone better to come. And Jesus is that one. He is the substance, and all of those guys were the shadow. They were a mere shadow, and Jesus Christ himself is the substance. So I want us to review a little bit now Jesus as the long-awaited and far superior prophet, priest, king. Right? This is what we've talked about over the last few weeks. Jesus is the long-awaited and far superior prophet. The one who not only brings the word of God to the people of God, he is the word of God in the midst of the people of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 with me. It'll be on the screen. Hebrews chapter 1. Starting in verse 1 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. Right? That is better. That is better. It's better to hear from the father through his son than from the father through his prophets, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Jesus is the long-awaited, far superior prophet. He is the word made flesh, The father spoke in the prophets, now he has spoken in his son. And when the son taught, 
we know that people responded in a way that they didn't respond to other teachers. Matthew chapter 7 says, when Jesus had finished these words, that's a reference to the entire Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus had finished this great body of teaching, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them, them as one having authority, not as their scribes. Jesus is the long-awaited, far superior prophet. And because of that, we must listen to him. He is the far superior prophet, and therefore we must listen to him. And I told you that first week of Advent that we must listen to what he said. And what did he say? Well, we narrowed it down to three things. Number one, he said, the kingdom is here. Therefore, repent and believe. Number two, he said, follow me. And that came at a cost. He didn't say, follow me down the yellow brick road. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, leave everything you've ever known and follow me. That's what Jesus said. And third, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And if the long-awaited, far superior prophet has said those three things, we need to listen to him and obey him. It does us no good to receive that word and simply delight in it, to receive it and say, oh, thank you for speaking such wonderful things. Thank you for saying such good things to us. It does us no good just to receive it. We must obey it. We must heed the word that Jesus has said to us. So he is the long-awaited, far superior prophet, so we must listen to him. Secondly, I told you that he is the long-awaited, far superior priest. I told you that he's a better priest of a better covenant with a better sacrifice than what we read about in the Old Testament. In fact, the author of Hebrews spends all of his time, nearly all of his time, making that argument, and he brings it to a climax in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 11. He says, every priest stands daily, stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but he that is Jesus having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified Jesus is a better priest of a better covenant with a better sacrifice. And so we draw near to God through him. He is our better priest. And what does a priest do? He makes a way for us to draw near to God. So we draw near to God through Jesus Christ. We hold fast to him because there is no better priest. There is no better offering. We cling to him and we also help each other follow him. That's what the author of Hebrews says later on in chapter 10. So he is... He is the long-awaited far superior priest, so we draw near to God through him. That's the way it works. That's the lesson of Jesus as the great high priest. Thirdly, we learned that Jesus is the long-awaited far superior king. We celebrate the birth of this king at Christmas time. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 30, says this. And the angel said to her, that's Mary, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Listen to verse 32. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus is the long-awaited, far superior king, and so we submit to him. We must submit to him. We must put ourselves under his reign. 
gladly and joyfully submitting ourselves to him. We must find our hope in him. Our deliverance comes from him and not from somewhere else. Our peace comes from him. He is the one who will conquer all of our enemies. And our citizenship in his kingdom must be the primary identity in our lives. He is the king. And therefore, we submit to him. Therefore, we live under his rule and his reign. Those are the three things we talked about, right? Over the last few weeks, those are the three things we've explored. The Old Testament role and how Jesus fulfills that. So with our eyes on Jesus today, with our eyes on Jesus as the long-awaited, far superior prophet, priest, king, let's spend the rest of our time this morning talking about those kind of roles in the church today. Prophet, priest, king type work in the church today. If those roles were vital for the leadership of God's people in the Old Testament, and then Jesus came and fulfilled them perfectly, the question I want us to consider today is, is there a continued need for this type of leadership of God's people presently? Do we need, in other words, prophets to bring us the word? Do we need priests to bring us into the presence of God? Do we need kings to rule over us? And I will answer, yes. I will argue today, yes, we need that, but not in the way of the Old Testament and not in any way superseding the role of Jesus as our ultimate, great, long-awaited, superior prophet, priest, king. Yes, we need those kind of roles in the church today as underlings of Jesus, right? As servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is ultimately our prophet, priest, and king. In fact, it is probably best for us not to think of all of this in terms of office, like in the Old Testament, but rather gifting. Let's think of prophet-type giftings in the local church operating today. Let's think of priest-type giftings in the local church operating today. And let's think of king-type giftings in the local church operating today. Are there folks with gifts like that? Are there folks with priest-type gifts, prophet-type gifts, king-type gifts? Yes, absolutely there are, for sure. And God has given those people, he has given those people those gifts for the good of his church, for the good of us. There's a concept in church leadership that we call triperspectivalism. And I will give you a definition and how to spell that word. That is a dynamite word, right? Triperspectivalism is a way to look at the world from multiple perspectives, three in specific. Triperspectival leadership is rooted in the fact that throughout history, God has always utilized three offices from which to lead his people. Prophet, priest, and king. The prophet proclaimed the truth of God to the people. The priest cared for the people by mediating and reconciling between God and people. The king was to order and advance God's rule among his people so that they would be a signpost of God's reign to the world. So that's what I want to talk about. How does that function today? What does that look like today here at First Baptist Church? Are there prophet types, priest types, and king types today at First Baptist Church? Well, I think there are. Look at this little chart. I hope it shows up well on the screen. Sort of. Yeah. So the columns here, we've got prophet, priest, and king. And the, uh, the rows uh, gives us a definition. So this guy defines the prophet as having an emphasis on the unchanging truths of God's character as revealed in his word, right? We might call him, that's what the, that's what the next uh, layer down says, what do we call him? Also known as the Bible guy. 
And the prophet today is constantly asking the question, is it true? Like in engaging almost any issue, almost any matter, someone who is gifted like a prophet in the local church today will be asking, is it true? And then I think this last uh, row is maybe most helpful. What are the besetting sins of folks who are gifted like a prophet? What do they need to be careful of? What do they need to be aware of? Well, they need to be aware of arrogance, intellectualism, poor listening skills, and an overbearing demeanor. And I I think that's gold. I think that is really helpful and spot-on accurate. Um, Because the prophet, who is usually speaking, is not always the best listener. um, and, And maybe needs to be careful about that. All right? So do you know some people like that? Do you know some people around here like that? They kind of fit that mold? Maybe not perfectly. I will argue in a little while that there's some bleed over and some mixing of these kind of things. But you know some people who sound like that a little bit, right? They're the Bible guy asking the question, is it true? Well, the priest, this, this little chart says, has an emphasis on caring for people, their souls, and caring for one another. The priest kind of has that, I will walk alongside you. I will hold your hand. I will be with you as we walk through life together. He is also known as the people guy. And the question he is going to ask in every scenario is, how does this affect people? How does this impact the people involved? He's a people guy. And he has to be careful because he uh, is prone to cowardice, to emotionalism, to an unhealthy concern about how others feel about them. Now, is is there a way to have a healthy concern about how others feel about you? Absolutely, right? Um, But there is also an unhealthy way to have that concern, to be absolutely locked up by what people think about you, to have a fear of man that the Bible is constantly warning us against. Do you know some people like that? You probably like those guys. You might not always like the prophet types, but you're almost always going to like the priest type. Um, because, because he's going to hold your hand, or she's going to hold your hand, walk alongside you. That would be the ear that you bend. That would be the shoulder that you cry on, um, the one who walks with you. And then finally, the king. This chart defines the king as having an emphasis on the tangible working out of the mission through structures, strategic thinking, hands-on activity. Um, he is also known as the mission guy. And I would, I would almost say that that's a little bit misleading around here, especially because mission means something very specific around here. I would say he's the structure guy. He's the program guy or gal. There, there, there are some gals that have kingly giftings as well. And the primary question that this person is constantly asking is, does it work? Like, how are we going to get there? And will it work? And the besetting sins that they need to be aware of is pragmatism, manipulation, and control. You know any king types? People who are constantly saying, is this, is this going to work? And how, okay, okay, great. We're going we're to go from A to B. How in the world are we going to get there? Let me put together a list. Let me put together a structure. Let me put together a program. These people are like charts and flow charts and diagrams and things like that. You know those folks? Numbers? Maybe they're numbers, guys. Do you know some people who have kingly gifts? Now, like I said, when we look at this chart, I want to argue that there is obvious crossover. There are mixtures. This is not so neatly divided in real life. You will never meet anyone who has prophet-like gifts and none of the other gifts at all. Uh, It's always some unique blend, but most of the time, people have one particular area of gifting that stands out over the others. And so my question for you to consider today is, which are you? 
Which, which, which one are you primarily gifted in? Which area fits you the best? Do you know? Like right off the bat, do you know? Are, some of you do. And if you do, you're probably a prophet or a king. Like if, you're, if you've already nailed it down, you're probably prophet gift or king type gift. Um, but, but I think most people probably don't know. Or, or maybe they know, but they are afraid that to say so would sound arrogant or something like that. Well, let me give you a little diagnostic test. This is where we get to Acts chapter 6. So turn to Acts chapter 6 if you're not already there. Look at Acts chapter 6. And you may know the story in Acts chapter 6, right? The story is the church has just been born. And there, there are people from Jewish background who've come to faith in Jesus as the promised Messiah. There are people from a Gentile background who have come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. They have left their old pagan ways of worldliness and, and, and they have come to faith in Jesus and are trying to follow Jesus. And, and we've got these people from two different backgrounds, radically different backgrounds, brought together in one church, right? We, we've got these two people who honestly were at odds with each other in a lot of ways, had disdain for each other in a lot of ways, now suddenly finding themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and it's hard. It's hard to figure out, well, how do we live? How do we live together with all of these differences? And there was a problem. A problem came up in Acts chapter 6. So read it with me, um, and, and I'll ask you some questions at the end that may help diagnose where you fit in that chart that we were looking at. It says, now at this time... The disciples were increasing in number, and a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily service of food. So the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of the task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Verse 7 is maybe the best. It says, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples increased uh, greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So that's the story that you're familiar with. And, and what I want to ask you is, what rings your bell in that story? Like, what part of that catches your attention? And you're like, yes, amen. Where did you want to say amen to that? Was it the part where the widows get fed? Like, if, if you are the person who reads that and you're like, I'm so thankful that all those widows got fed. I'm so thankful that this group wasn't overlooked anymore and they got taken care of and there was harmony and unity amongst the people. I'm so thankful for that. Well, if that's what got you going, you're probably a priest. You're probably one of those folks who likes to walk alongside folks and care for them and, and you love to see that they got fed. Or if you love that the word of God is going to get preached, if like what gets you going is those apostles saying, we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and a prayer. And you're like, yes, amen, that's got to happen for the church to be healthy. Well, guess what? If that got you going, you probably got prophet type gifts. You're probably the Bible guy who's saying, is it true? Or if you read that whole story and you're like, I am so glad someone stepped in and took charge of this thing. I'm so glad someone said, here's a problem, here's how we can solve it, get it done, and it's taken care of. 
if like you have this high altitude view of this whole story and what gets you going is there was order and structure in the church and everybody had a role and everybody filled that role, well, then you probably have king type gifts. Is that helpful to you? What, what got you going in that story? I really want you to consider that, not because I want you to be able to identify yourself, but because I want you to put those kind of gifts to work here. I want you to leverage those kind of gifts here. Because what we have a tendency to think is, I, I, I think I would identify as having prophet-type gifts. I think that's the, like when something comes up, I'm going to ask, is it true? That's, that's what I want to do. What gets me going in this story is that the apostles devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And I'm like, yes, that's got to happen for the church to be healthy. And the danger is, I tend to think that's the only thing that has to happen for the church to be healthy. <laughs> and that is not true. For the church to be healthy, the word has to be preached People have to be taken care of, and there's got to be order. There's got to be structure. Like, all three of these things have to happen. And praise the Lord that Jesus reigns over this church as the perfect prophet, priest, king, right? That he is exercising all of those roles, all of those functions over us all the time, and there's no weakness in him. And he has structured the church in such a way that when we come together, there's no weakness among us either. If we will all leverage our giftings for the good of the body, there won't be a gap here either. Because we're not all prophets, and we're not all priests, and we're not all kings. And if we work together, if we leverage our giftings for the good of the body, there will be this well-rounded ministry, and nothing will be left out. That's what I want to see happen here. So which are you? That's what, that's what I'm getting at. Which are you? Well, if the little exercise in Acts chapter 6 didn't help you, you should ask your wife, or your husband, or your friends. They will help you see where your giftings are. And what I want to encourage today, more than anything else, what I want to encourage today is that you will leverage those giftings, that you will be active in your service to the Lord at home. We, we need all three of those things to happen in the house, in the family. We need prophet gifts and priest gifts and king's gifts working in the home. You need to leverage those kind of gifts at work as well. You need to be answering those kind of questions at work as well. And certainly here within the local church, I want to see us working together under the lordship of Christ, of course, always. With our eyes on him, of course, always. We want to be leveraging those kind of gifts here for the good of the body and for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are two applications today from all of this. Number one. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. In 2021, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must be able to see him clearly as the perfect prophet, priest, king. All right, We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus in 2021 as our great prophet, priest, and king. How do we do this? We do this through spiritual disciplines. And if you have any questions about spiritual disciplines, what are spiritual disciplines? What is the importance of spiritual discipline? I would recommend that you talk to Reed Roper. Uh, he, he is our resident spiritual discipline guy and uh, does a great job and, and I think would love to talk to you. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned this before just now. But I think Reed would find great joy in, in talking to you about what a life of spiritual discipline looks, looks like. Is that fair, Reed? So we may post your number on social media later for people just to call. No, I won't do that. But, but talk to Reed about it. Uh, we, need to, we need to focus on the Lord Jesus through spiritual disciplines like Bible intake. Right? One, of the, one of the primary spiritual disciplines that we need to engage in is Bible intake. 
We need to read the Bible. We need to study the Bible. We need to meditate on the Bible. We need to memorize the Bible. We need to have our nose in the book in 2021 because there is no place where we will get a clearer view of the Lord Jesus Christ than in the book. You may have friends that say, oh, no, I see God more clearly when I go out in nature. No, 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 no. You will only understand what you see of God in nature if you know what it says in the book. Nature's great. We, we see his creation and we can glorify him, but only as we understand him as a creator from the book. So I'm saying keep your nose in the book and then go outside. And your time outside will be even better. Spiritual disciplines like prayer, journaling, spiritual discipline of worship. Don't neglect worship in 2021. Keep your eyes on Jesus by gathering together with brothers and sisters and singing his praises. Spiritual discipline like service. Spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude. That's my favorite one in Don Whitney's book, Silence and Solitude. And, and I wonder if, if 2020 and the pandemic has provided us an opportunity for silence and solitude that we have not taken advantage of. If, if things have slowed down so much in 2020 that God has given us this, this wonderful opportunity to develop the discipline of silence and solitude and we've missed it complaining. Point is this, keep your eyes on Jesus in 2021, Jesus who is our great prophet, priest, and king, keep your eyes on him through spiritual discipline. So the questions, do you have a plan? Do you have a plan for 2021? Have you thought that through? Like from, about your spiritual life? Have you set some goals for your spiritual life? Have you set up some accountability for that plan and for those goals? A lot of you are already doing this in, in other areas of your life. You're, you're toward the end of the year and you're thinking about a new year and you're saying, oh, I want to I do this physical thing or I want to I work on uh, my diet or I want to work on my weight or I want to work on what, whatever else it is, some kind of project at work. I want to accomplish this thing. You're setting all these goals and you're making plans and you're, you're involving other people to hold you accountable. Why not do that in your spiritual life? What matters more? What matters more in 2021 than your heart and your soul? Nothing. So make a plan. And here I want to give a plug for, for an app called YouVersion. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. If you don't already have that on, a, on your phone, you need to go to the App Store and get it right now. Um, because on YouVersion, you can find every translation of the Bible ever, in any language, just about. Like you can find the Old Testament in Kurdish on YouVersion. That's outrageous. Um, so you can find every English translation you can imagine, and you can find a multitude of reading plans. You can read through uh, Old Testament or New Testament or the whole Bible, or you can do some kind of topical study, all these different studies. And not only that, but you can develop within version a community to read together. And if you're on a plan with other people, you can tell if they have or have not read that day. Uh, there will be a little check mark by their, by their face. Uh, and, and so there's a, a a system of accountability. There's some fellowship that's built in. Laura is in a couple of plans with some ladies and, and they all comment every day. I'm in a couple of plans with some dudes and no one ever comments, ever. And, and these ladies are commenting every day and there's this like fellowship, there's this engagement of the word together and it's a beautiful thing. So as you think about this for 2021, I just want to plug that and, and say, man, that might be really helpful to you to help you keep your eyes on Jesus in 2021. Spiritual disciplines with a plan and a goal and some accountability. version will help with that. That's number one. Number two, I want us to be seeking to serve him with the gifts we've been given. In 2021, let's be serving him 
with the gifts we've been given. In 2021, don't just sit there. Do something. Don't just sit there. Do something. At home, at work, here at First Baptist Church, be active in your service to the Lord. In fact, let this question ring with you as you leave here today. How are you helping others keep their eyes on Jesus? And how are you helping them walk more closely with him every day? Not just are you walking with him, not just do you have your eyes fixed on him, but how are you helping someone else? How are you leveraging your gifts for the sake of other people and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's stand together and pray. Father, we are, we are so thankful for Jesus this morning. I'm thankful that he is our, our great prophet who brings the word to us. He is our great high priest who made the sacrifice so that we could have access to you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who is our king, reigning and ruling over us. We want to see him clearly this year, this coming year. So we pray that you will help us to be disciplined in our walk. Help us to make a plan and set goals and place accountability into our lives. And Father, we want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with the gifts that we have been given. We want to be active, leveraging these gifts at home and at work and here in the local church. We want to be helping others keep their eyes on Jesus and walking faithfully with him. So show us what that looks like. Practically, clearly, tangibly, show us what that looks like. Father, Father, we recognize that in all of this, what matters most is that we have seen you in your holiness, seen ourselves in our sinfulness, seen Christ as the only sacrifice for our sins, the only way of salvation, and repented of our sins and trusted in him. We want to go on repenting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ every day. So if there's one here who is far from you, who is dead in their trespasses and sins, Father, I pray that you open their eyes to all those realities. Save them today by your grace. Give them faith to trust Christ. Give them repentance to turn and walk with you. And be glorified. Be glorified in doing what only you can do. In Christ's name we pray.